You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome in to the Husker 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Michael Brunts, Brian Christofferson here on a Wednesday morning. Gentlemen, it has been, uh, I feel like it's been weeks since we've gotten together to do a podcast. I uh, I, I don't know if, if you've missed it as much as I have, but it's it's nice to, to see both of you and, and to have this opportunity to talk about Nebraska football in January. There's yeah. no better time to talk Nebraska football than January. That's it's, what that's what they say. There's lots to talk about. Is that and, a new uh, is that a new hat for Brunts or is that? No, nah, it's, it's an old. I one. asked the same question before the show. Oh, okay. No, Sorry. It's Sorry. Free, it, it's a free hat. Arizona it's, Cardinals. You big Rod Tidwell fan? Huge. Um, Neil Lomax, big Neil Lomax fan. If you guys remember Neil Lomax. Um, I was wondering if you got it from Vandenbosch, who does their uh, their like post game show with their affiliate down there. Does he? he really? does, I didn't realize he did that. Yeah, well, he was. I don't know if he's still it now. I, now I have to go look it up. But he he was at one point because I was I was curious about why he was in Arizona um, because he's got his two kids that are Nebraska recruits that are in the twenty six class that are twins. They go to Brophy Prep down there. So uh, and when I looked it up. Wikipedia tells me that he was involved in the the post game reaction to Cardinals football, which I have to imagine was pretty bad for a while this year. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's it's also the the new home of, of former Huskers Ben Stilley and Travis Vokalek. They're both uh, Cardinals now, so there's that. Yeah, former home of uh, Chris Jones was there for a while too. Yep, among among several other places, <laughs> he's been around a bit. He has, he has that. That would be a good, you know, just like, where are they now as it relates to the different guys that are kind of on different practice squads or clinging to the 53-man roster? All right, let's uh, let's talk about rosters and roster management and roster resources and what Nebraska has done with its roster. They released a new one on Huskers.com on Tuesday. Brunch, you alerted the rest of the group to it. Uh, walk us through what what were some of – give me like three notable things – from the new roster for Nebraska football. Yeah. The, the position changes 
there there wasn't anything really surprising. I think everything that had happened with guys moving from offense to defense and vice versa had kind of taken place towards the end of last season. But um, of those, Ruquan Buckley officially an offensive lineman. Uh, Jason Machachok also on the offensive line. He'd kind of been both ways, I think, at various points since he's been at Nebraska for the last year. That That's just at least interesting to me, given the numbers on each side of the ball. Um, Jeremiah Charles, Bryce Turner, two uh, guys with you know elite speed from last year's class are now, uh, I guess, officially on defense for now. Uh, until Garrett McGuire and, and Evan Cooper can arm wrestle again to see who gets them. But um, th- those are kind of the notable things there. Ethan Piper not being on the roster. We need to get a little bit more clarity on what his situation is there. He's, of course, coming off of the, um, I, I think it's fair to say, horrific injury. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that horrific is what I had in my head, yeah. Yeah, uh, that he suffered last year against Northwestern in his season. Um, so we'll we'll need some clarity there. And then uh, Kane Williams, the other scholarship um, notable uh, omission from the roster. Those were the two big ones. So and, and we can get into this a little bit because I'm curious what you guys think or if it doesn't even matter to you. I mean, I think it kind of matters. But um, Brian and I both separately counted out the roster uh, to see how many we landed at. And we both landed at 149 independent of one another. And that includes guys that have signed in the 24 class but aren't on campus yet. So not a total 149, but what do you guys kind of make of that size? It seems like it's going to get smaller, but does it still surprise you that we're at 149 heading into the spring and with guys coming in in the summer? It does not necessarily surprise me because I think there's going to be a, I don't want to say an exodus, after the spring, but there's going to be a handful of people that leave at that point. Um, obviously that counts walk-ons and, and, and everything as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're going to have to, to get that number down. You, you mentioned Jeremiah Charles and, and Bryce Turner. I look at that defensive back room and I expect there to be changes after the spring. Like I, I think this spring is just going to be, like 700 defensive backs battling it out for whatever the the number is that uh, Matt Rule and, and Evan Cooper want there because they also have several guys that are going to be enrolling in the summer, right, that aren't here right now. And so they – like the numbers they have a defensive back alone are enormous. And I feel like they have a lot on the offensive line too. And so it feels like those are spots that potentially are going to see some attrition – and shake out here. And so that's, that's sort of how I, I guess I kind of view it. Like, yes, that initial number is large. I don't think it'll be anywhere near that. And then what's more interesting to me, there's certain position groups where it's like, yeah, there's some guys that even in just real recent recruiting classes that might just be moving on pretty quickly because I think they're about to get buried or they might get asked to move on because they don't have the space for them anymore. Is that sort of how you guys view it, Brian? Yeah, you uh, you actually hit the two positions groups that I would have <clears throat> highlighted. And, of course, with the defensive backs or guys who are listed as DBs, some of those are guys who are hybrid-type players who they're mm-hmm. just trying to see where they fit, and that's where they're technically – or that's where they're officially at right now. But, yeah, the, the number 149 does surprise me that it's actually <clears throat> still that high. Um, and, and Rule, um, on early signing day, 
Um, it was actually on the Husker signing day show. He had a quote about how the roster size is going to get smaller. And it's a directive of the athletic department uh, to hit title nine compliant or there's, there's something to do with that. Um, and so it'll be interesting. And I kind of want to ask him this next time uh, he's in front of us, which I would assume would be uh, on signing day, the uh, official signing day next week, if we're still calling it that um, I want to see what, number he has in mind there maybe or if he's willing to say like this is where we're trying to get to i don't know if he will um but he has said it's going to be smaller a smaller roster as they go forward than it has been in years past so there's got to be attrition there just has to be from what's been said um and and just uh common sense when you look at there's some guys who are in the program who i do think at the end of spring they're going to be like realizing a third or fourth string maybe at a certain position and they're going to want to see maybe, maybe I should uh, see what else is out there. It's interesting that Schaefer, you mentioned the offensive line piece of it. Um, just where that, that group is going into this off season to where they were, you go back to last year and I know they had guys coming off of injuries, guys that were out for the spring. And that was, that was a concern. Um, but I mean, if you guys recall, I mean, there, there were legitimate concerns over there about how they were going to get through the spring game because yeah. of the lack of offensive linemen they had. Is it like 11? Did they have like 11 linemen for the spring? That's the number I have in my head. Yeah, I think it was like 11 or 12. Um, and then, you know, you had the kind of scare with Ben Scott. That was last spring, wasn't it? Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I think you have to give credit to Nebraska for the way that they've kind of – They've kept around the veterans because it's an extremely veteran group they have right now, and they've added, you know, Micah Mazuka to it, who's a you know a sixth year guy that started multiple years at Florida and Baylor, and then they've also got kind of that next group coming up, and I think what's going to be really important for them this spring is kind of trying to figure out who in that next group has a chance, uh, and and I I know they don't want to throw guys out too early or, or, you know, not allow them to develop. And that's a developmental position. But I think you have to kind of have an idea of what kind of a trend the guy's on and if he can help you. Uh, because you had a big offensive line class in the 23 class. 24 is another big class. And you've got several of those guys on campus now. So you'll get a look at them in the spring. Um, but I, I think they've got to really kind of figure out the numbers and kind of how all that works. Because, I mean, it's one thing to have 12. I mean, that's, you know, pretty unreal. But when you start getting up into like 17, 18, 19 scholarship mm. linemen, I mean, that, that's a lot of guys. Yeah. And there's more coming in the, the summer as well. I I have this thought. It it sort of popped up as, as you guys were talking about that number at 149. This is like a, um, a half-baked analysis thought. So feel free to, to completely – mock it if I'm if I'm wrong on this but do you think it's possible that Matt Rule views spring football in the way that coaches sort of view uh training camp in the NFL like you have this big roster right and you know that you're gonna have to get the size down at some point but really what you're doing is you're using the spring to to not only maximize and, and build towards the fall but to also kind of assess and evaluate and scout different areas of your roster and which guys you want to stick around and which guys you want to leave. Like, is that a, is that a possibility or am I just sort of over my skis on that idea that that's how he's going to use this spring football period coming up? 
No, I, I think there's gotta be some of that. And there's probably some players who, you know, they, they know what the score is right now. And, and so, you know, they're finishing up this semester and to go through spring ball and it's like, okay, I'm going to just see where I am at that point. If I can make a move, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll stick around. If not, um, I'll see what else is out there. Rule has talked about how he doesn't force guys out. I mean, he's been, uh, pretty candid about that. Um, guys, if they want to be here, um, they, they find a spot for them, but, um, clearly at somehow, some way this number has got to get down. And so, um, I I'm more interested in actually that though, the, the, whatever the number 149 goes down to and whoever is on like the fall camp roster of what is it? 110 now, yep. uh, when we get there, um, then I am the discussion of, is this guy technically on scholarship? Yeah, I don't, yeah, I'm with like, I, I think that's like, we're pat we're, I mean, there's something to it, but uh, I've, I've moved past that whole 85 man discussion and laboring over who, who is and who isn't and who's getting NIL money. So that's going to be more interesting to me is what that that big total number gets down to and then like who's on the 110. I think that's that's what matters. It's going to be it's going to be a fascinating discussion when you get to the fall. I mean, if you just kind of look at you know guys that you would guys that have signed, guys that you would what's a better label? Scholarship worthy, like scholarship level yeah. players. Like Nebraska right now is sitting right around 100 for guys that are in any class that you would probably identify as either definite scholarship guys or like in the mix scholarship adjacent. Yeah. They're tangential scholarships. (laughs) Um, But you know, if you're already at a hundred for that, I mean, you're, you're, you're probably going to be leaving off guys that, you know, have the potential to help you Mm -hmm. or got young guys that you felt pretty good about during the recruiting process um to to you know bring them in so that's going to be that that's kind of the 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 back end i guess of what you're saying brian is like let's say you get down to like 120 in the spring i mean that 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 at least makes that decision probably a little bit easier for you when you get to august because as it stands right now it, it would be pretty tough i think at certain spots to figure out who's going to be there with you during fall camp and who's not yeah i i I think so. Um, now the good thing is like some of the newer, like walk-ons who are joining, um, they know they're very wanted because I'm sure there's been transparency about like the roster is kind of shrinking. So if you're actually asked to walk onto this program right now, uh, they see something in you. And also it is a staff and we've done interviews with guys who it means something to them that has proven like John Bullock last year was like a year ago at this time, um, we weren't talking about John Bullock, you know, like being like a big part of anything on defense. And then suddenly he's like, you know, uh, he's a single digit guy and he's starting and playing a lot of football. And so I think there are guys like that who have had success under this staff that is going to encourage walk-ons, um, the, to maybe stick it out for a year or two or th- see if they can make some headway because this, this, uh, coaching staff has shown a willingness to, uh, give everybody an opportunity to see what they can do. You know, you said that name, John Bullock, and I had to stop and think, did he, he announced that he's coming back, right? Yes. Yeah, like that's the, it is, it's wild. Like this off season feels like it's been seven months long and it's been two. Uh, there's been a lot that has happened in there and 
you know, I, I think they've largely gotten everybody back that people would have hoped for. But um, you you said that, <laughs> I think. And it's basically be like, yeah, John Bullock, he could have yeah. left. But I'm pretty sure he came back, but people thought he might leave. Yeah, that thing. It, and he actually could come back. There are, I don't want to knock, because I, I do like when a guy gives a farewell letter a little bit. It's kind of a nice touch. But some of these things that are out there now, if you were a senior and your eligibility is up, I don't know if you have to announce that you're uh, that you're uh, not coming back. We know you're not coming back. Well, look, guys are getting their ninth year down in Miami, so people just yeah. need clarity, Brian. I guess so. That, that is true. Like people have lost complete track of like, yeah, maybe maybe he can. Come <laughs> I have back. no idea. That yeah. guy's thirty three years old, but I think he, yeah, he, he does have one more year left. That that guy, Miami, by the way, who was in his going into his ninth year, he would have been on the roster when Oregon played here. Right against Mike Riley, <laughs> I think that's correct. That would have been his freshman year because yeah, he started at Oregon. He could talk about the "let me clear my throat" experience and how loud it got. <laughs> Give a pretty good narrative on it. He was a teammate of Terry Wilson's. <laughs> <laughs> you got to see Dakota Pru Cup play. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, there is a name on this roster that I'm a little surprised by, but maybe I shouldn't be. Maybe it's a see where things are at in the spring. Maybe it's he didn't get much of an opportunity in the fall. Maybe it's an NTA waiver makes that more clear. What did you guys make of uh, Isaiah Garcia Castaneda on Nebraska's roster? Barely got a play after an injury last year against Minnesota. Had left the team the year before uh, during the window when the coaching change happened because he was very unhappy. Uh, with how things were going with with uh, Nebraska at that point with Mickey Joseph, um, what what do you make of Isaiah Garcia Castaneda and uh, still being on Nebraska's roster? I think they liked him. Um, like I think Rule really liked him before the injury. So I, I it's probably just one of those deals where it's like well, let's see how you come back from it and what you got, you know? Because I remember um, in the fall camp rule had that quote about he's like one of those guys you can even design specific stuff for. And obviously if you think about the receiver situation at the time, it was different. There was like a lot of question marks. It there's, there still are those, but it, it it's a smaller question mark now, I think a little bit with Jamal banks and, and they are here. Um, but I, I do think they liked what he was about and sort of how he like came back to the program under rule. And he always says like, I'm not going to hold against what happened you know, before I got here, it's like a clean slate with me as far as I don't, you know, whatever that was, was somebody else's business. So I think he did get that clean slate. I think the staff liked him and, and it's like, okay, let's see now, how can he come back? How can Ramir come back and Gabe Irvin come back? You could put all those three in the same category of guys like, you know, what are they willing, able to give and when are they able to give it? I guess like full, full go. I was thinking about the about the Garcia Castaneda situation because Brian brought him up when I was writing it, and I, I guess I wasn't as surprised that he was on there. Um, I guess because from Nebraska's perspective, it's like, well, you know, he, he's a veteran guy coming off an injury. We'll see how he comes back. Um, from his perspective, I mean, he's really kind of been through it in college yeah. football. Um, you know, this is a guy that went, did the JUCO route. He was at New Mexico State transferred you know at nebraska what does he played three games i mean he yeah. played played the one in dublin the one after it and then you know the the season opener last year I, he might have gotten in a couple more before he uh, left the team but i mean from his point of view you probably want to 
know, at least get some payoff, right? Like actually try and, and show what you can do. Cause he really hasn't been able to do that since he was at New Mexico state. It, it's uh, I don't know. He, he's one of those guys that you, you kind of root for him in some ways because of everything he's had to get through to, to, to get to where he is. And we'll, we'll see where he's at in the spring, but he should be, I would guess by the end of spring ball, he's probably close to hundred percent, right? Just given where that injury, when, when that injury occurred. Yeah, you would think so. He's a, he's another guy worth asking about, though. Um, there, there's a few of these guys that are it'll be interesting to hear updates on. He's one of them. Uh, Brody Tagaloa, this is switching gears a little bit, but is another who is he's on the roster and had, uh, you know, the uh, auto accident last year. And he was actually had a lot of steam prior to that. Um, we had heard um, and he was going to play um, before that. So it'll be interesting to just get like what what does the head coach have to say about a few specific names maybe like that absolutely all right let's take a quick time out when we come back i got a question for for you guys uh be curious where you go with it and we'll dive into a little bit of recruiting coming off of back-to-back junior day weekends for nebraska as they turn the table to 2025 plus a little 2024 recruiting in there as well you're listening to the husker 24 7 podcast So I mentioned I have a question, and it is this. As you look at the roster, you look at the position groupings, what is a position group? If you can go back and you can think, what was I thinking about in January, February of Nebraska's, you know, upcoming spring in in 2023 to where things are now, what's a position group that you feel like this team um, has really done a nice job adding talent to? And what's a group that you are still somewhat concerned about moving forward? You don't even have to go all the way back to last winter. You could just go back to the season if you'd like. But uh, give me one that is uh, stock up and one where you're sort of shoulder shrug. We'll start with Bruns. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, almost a, it's almost a flip for me from last year, what I would have said. I mean, I, I, think, I think wide receiver is, is trending up. Just given, um, you know, the the additions of Nair and Banks, I think those are two really key additions. You pair that with the the trend that I think Coleman Lloyd and um, uh, Doss were on last year. You're adding a couple guys to the group this year who I think have a chance to get on the field early, um, and I, I think there's intrigue there. I mean, you you pair that with a a quarterback that I I think can get the ball down the field a little bit better than what Nebraska did last year. Um, I, I'm I'm intrigued, and you know a, a group that you know I, I think maybe I, I have questions about. I, I think I, I like the the addition of Dante Dowdell at running back, but I don't know that the kind of history of the guys at that position that that gives me pause. I mean, Ramir Johnson has been good in spurts; he's been injured quite a bit. Same with Gabe Irvin. We saw a little bit of Emmett Johnson. We don't really know much about Quentin Ives. Um, so, so that group to me is is, I think they did an okay job. I just think that kind of what they have left in that group from last year, you, you kind of have to just wait and see on just to see how that picture kind of clears up. BC, you got different answers? Sure. I, um, I think defensive line a year ago, um, there was a lot of us. I was definitely beating the drum of like, what, what exactly is that going to look like? They had had some key guys go. Um, you sort of didn't, um, 
know you didn't even know that we did not know Nash Hupmaker was going to be like he was at all at this time a year ago. If you think about it, that changed the game completely with that group. Um, when you have a, a nose type guy like that. And then I thought the best of Ty was starting to come out um, last season. And so when you add in like just the way they've recruited that spot, you know, and, and I think we're all excited about like Riley Van Poppel. And I kind of just think he's going to be a guy who bust out this year. Um, you know, there, there's some other young players that I like um, in that, in that room and who they've recruited there. So I just like, I know the coaching staff was kind of like a little bit. Um, I fit, think rule at least was a mystified as to why, like everybody else was so worried about the D line. Um, Cause he actually thought they were going to be okay but I was worried about it and they proved to be uh, pretty stout. And I said, so I think they've kind of flipped the script. Um, the, the other side of the coin, I think Brunts gave the right answer on the receivers. There's reason to think the arrows up, um, but I'm still sort of in like, let's see it. Cause I, I feel like too, too many off seasons. There's been this thing where you can look at it on paper and be like, Oh yeah, I feel I can talk myself into like eight or nine guys and then you end up some game in October where it's like the fourth quarter and you're wondering like, okay, who's like the third receiver right now? And someone's limping off and um, you don't feel like they've got more than like two to three that you really believe in. And so I want to see them make that jump this season from where you're talking about like two or three guys who you're like, oh, okay, he could catch a pass to where there's like six or seven legitimate at least, you know, so that's that's the big question to me if they can get there. It's really interesting, a uh, little head-to-head there. You have Brunts giving the general public answer and BC giving the insider answer on uh, on, the, <laughs> on the wide receivers, right? Like, is that is that how that's shaping up? I've, I've got a couple for you. I'm curious where you where you come down with it. I, I mean, I don't know that anyone in the media uh, was more skeptical and more harsh on the offensive line and Donovan Rayola specifically than I was last year when Nebraska chose to retain them. That group coming in, I didn't care that they had added Ben Scott. They were re- largely bringing back the same core of people that effectively put up the worst offensive line I've ever covered. And I suspect I ever will cover. And if it does get worse than that, I'm not even sure what it would look like. And yet this year, I feel like it's a total strength for this team. I, I mean, I look at it and it's like, you got a freshman quarterback but he has veteran linemen pretty much everywhere but left tackle. And obviously that makes Teddy Prohaska the big question mark. But by adding Micah uh, Mazuka, I mean, you have another steady veteran with 20-plus starts. You know, regardless of who ends up opposite of him at the other guard spot, you're going to get someone that has, a, has at least starts under their belt at the Power 5 level. And it very well could be Turner Corcoran finally having the opportunity to play the position that it feels like he always should be. Uh, at guard and then they have upside behind some of those guys too like I'm I'm really actually pretty excited about what they did with the offensive line class this year in uh in the, the 2024 class and none of those guys need to play and then you hear good things about Gunnar Gatula and Sam Sledge and what they've been doing I know they still like Justin Evans Jenkins it it is remarkable to me that in basically a calendar year my entire opinion of the offensive line operation has flipped. I'm going to stop short of saying that they're going to be great by any means, but they have a chance to be above average, which is a step in the right direction for Nebraska as poor as they have played up front at times 
it feels like they are are coming together and they've got as veteran of a group as you could have with Bryce Benhart, Ben Scott, and Micah Mazuka and uh, you know, Teddy Prohaska now has, I think, right around 10 starts in his career. And so um now is really the time uh for, for them to take an even bigger step forward. And I think they're capable of it. I'm gonna give you a position group that I feel like we don't talk about enough that I think the expectation is that there's lots of potential there and that they could be moving up. And I look at it as this was maybe a spot that I might've invested trying to find a veteran to, to help things out. I don't love Nebraska's tight end room. I just don't. I don't think they're good enough inline blockers. I thought Nate Borkercher and Thomas Fedoni really struggled to seal the edge at times. I, I thought Fedoni had issues catching passes he doesn't look nearly as explosive as he was in high school. And that's, you know, entirely a product of having the two ACL tears. Now he had the really nice catch and run against Michigan State, but pretty much every other time you saw Thomas Fedoni, it was like a three-yard play. And so I I don't and and the nice thing is, you know, they don't have to build this offense with a lot of of tight end play. But if they do want to to establish some sort of power running game. It feels to me the tight ends that they brought in that aren't Carter Nelson more represent the type of players that I think Nebraska is going to get at this position. And that's sort of the the Jack Stoll model where you try to get the big physically strong guys that can help block, that can maybe do a little bit in the passing game, but you're not going to rely on. But it, it feels like they could have really used like a veteran tight end that that is sort of a block first mentality to help with some of the inline blocking. Do you Am, am I like off my rocker here? Uh, because I just don't. And I, yeah. I saw it in that thread the other day where I asked who people were excited about. And there was a lot of excitement for for Thomas Fedoni. And I just feel like some of that is left over from um, what he was as a recruit. Mm. And I don't want to say that he can't take the next step because I absolutely think that he could. But I don't know that I believe that there's a big jump coming necessarily. It was it was an inconsistent group last year. I think that's fair to say. Um I, I I don't know that they showed the kind of game-breaking ability that maybe people were kind of hoping for. I and I don't know. You, you kind of dig into it, and I I don't I don't think they were helped at all by the quarterback the play. quarterback yeah, situation. Absolutely, hundred um, percent. It was your your heart stopped a little bit at any time there was a pass going over the middle, and somebody was running like a crossing route. Like that that, that was just like coin flip of whether it's it's going to be completed, whether it's going to be on target, and whether it would be going back the other way. Um, I, I don't know that that group was helped by the way that everything kind of shook out last year with the coaching picture there. Um, basically having one coach that was new to college football in the spring, uh, an interim who did a good job. I, I think Josh Martin did a fine job um, in the fall. I, I think they'll benefit from from being coached by the offensive coordinator. I mean, I, I think, I think that continuity will help them. I, I, I am intrigued to see if there's any young guys besides, um, besides uh, Carter Nelson that can get on the field right away. Cause I think they love what Nelson can be as a Swiss army knife. I think you, there's a place for a guy like an Ian Flint in, in, in that as a blocker. And I, I agree yep. with you. And you look at the, the body types, that they've taken, it's kind of all over the place. And, and that room, I think, is kind of, kind of going through a rebuild right now. Um, but I, I agree. I mean, I, I think that's a room that needs to be better if the offense is going to take a step forward. Um, it, it's just 
so much of what happened on offense last year, I, I, I feel like they were kind of at the on the receiving mm-hmm. end of it. That a lot of it wasn't their fault, but they need to show more this year for sure. Yeah, yeah. I I'll add one thought to that, and then I gotta run for an interview. Um, but that's uh, an interesting discussion. The tight ends, because I do think if you think back to Nebraska when it's been really good, they've they've been stocked up in that position room with guys who weren't always like household names like if you go back to really top level husker teams that were like just solid tight ends who played a ton of snaps and were great blockers and i think like a guy like luke lindenmeyer who is a pretty young player is going to be one of the more important guys on this roster actually like if he can develop they like um, and so they're going to need um v- multiple versions of him you know, like, so, you know, and maybe that isn't Ian Flint, you think, I don't know, like a, a, a bigger body that maybe he's, maybe he's not the guy who catches two or three passes a week. You don't even see him on the stat sheet, but he impacted the game as much as anybody else. If they're going to go power on somebody and just try to get downhill. And that's where they do need to stock up with like three guys you really believe in that are t- like traditional tight ends, you know, not like our, our fun uh, 2024 tight ends that we think of or you're racking up fantasy points, but the old school guys who just like, you know, have, have some dirt in their helmet and get after guys. So like Lyndon Meyer is a guy who I think is going to matter. And you gotta, you gotta multiply there in that. That's a, it's a good conversation. Yeah. And, and again, I don't want to, I don't want to make it seem like I'm, I'm out on, on what those guys can be. I just thought that, I, I thought that they were sort of overlooked when you discussed things that were a little disappointing about Nebraska's offense. Now, and Brunt's made some great points. I mean, it's hard to catch passes that aren't in your area code. And I, I get that. But for me, it, was, it wasn't it was so much what they can do as receivers because I think Thomas Fedoni could be helpful in that regard. I need to see better probably blocking on the edge. And he wasn't the only one. I mean, there's, there's a reason Luke Lindenmeyer played as much as he did, and it's because he was – internally i suspect a far better viewed blocker uh than either of the two guys that they were hoping could catch passes for him so uh bt thank you for uh for for stopping by yeah you uh you are dismissed and brunson and i will con- will continue with some uh recruiting here eric, eric ingerson throw his name in there too tight end yeah. i was just thinking about it. yep thanks for having me guys thanks for having me on the show <laughs> <laughs> see you brian see ya all right, uh, we'll finish up here with a little bit of recruiting. Brunts, they had two big junior day weekends. Uh, big is, the first one was huge. I mean, the, the visit list from that weekend alone, uh, you had five stars on campus. You had a bunch of guys that are going to be in the top 247 of multiple different classes. You had big, big, important in-state recruits. You had big, important out-of-state recruits. They had multiple guys from the Kansas City, Kansas area and Kansas City, Missouri. Um, what, obviously we haven't been able to catch up with everybody. And the nice thing is, is 2025 and 2026 recruiting. We're not exactly under the gun to need to get this all done right now. And it gives a nice pathway forward to find some people to talk to. What, what stood out to you and the, the coverage, um, from, and the feedback from, uh, Nebraska having these two juniors. Yeah, I mean, I'll let you get into the to this, but I, I know you wrote about this a little bit too. But the way that Nebraska went about some of the things on the junior day was pretty unique, and, and the way that they led guys through their operation, how you do things, how guys fit in their defense and offense. Um, I thought that was pretty good. 
again, I mean, we saw it in the 24 class where you're building the foundation of your class on local guys. And I wrote about this on the site this week where just if you look at the number of in-state offers that they've made, I mean, you're already at seven or eight in-state offers in the 25 class. They made it a couple in 26 uh, or one in 26 recently. Um, and I think you're going to see a few more go out there. And, you know, I think that's going to be kind of the the the, the foundation of what they do. Um, I think they they did a nice job of finding guys regionally and also you know, guys in Texas and Florida who are towards the top of their board. They've had a year to recruit those guys, build those relationships. I think they're finally caught up heading into the 25 class. And, you know, you're, you're seeing the, 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 the fruits, I guess, of being around for a year. And, and I, I think people kind of forget that, you know, it's maybe viewed like, okay, the 23 class, that's your catch up class. Then you're on to 24 and that's yeah. when, you're caught up and that's just not the way it works. And I think 25, 26, you're seeing a really good job of them identifying guys and identifying guys early who have taken off. I mean, there's a couple of guys that stand out. Jack Lang kid, the offensive tackle in Missouri, Nebraska was like his first offer off a camp. And now he's a, you know, we've got Georgia, Notre Dame. He's a national recruit, probably a, a high four-star type kid. So the evaluations, I think, are, are, are spot on, too, in a lot of cases. So that, that's kind of stood out to me, though, is I, I think that they're operating from more of a position of strength, just given that they've been at Nebraska for a year, which helps a ton. What yeah. stood out to you? Well, and, and I want to add to that real quickly before I dive into sort of the junior day feedback. But um, one of the things that, that got mentioned, we did that uh, series last year where we talked with different coaches about different areas. And one of the things that Tony White kind of mentioned, and he goes, you know, it was conventional wisdom. Your transition class was your first year. Your second year was the year that you should be able to put it all together. And he's like, that was under the old recruiting model. And he's like, I'm not trying to make excuses or anything for what we're about to do and how we're going to do it. But he even said, if, if it goes the way that I think it will, our best class could end up being like 2026 because we actually get to like, invest time and we get to point back to how things are going on the field and we have a better understanding of the type of players that we want and we get more information about who they are and, and evaluate. So it's, and, and you know, you can make the case like, yeah, you can't, you can't wait until your third full recruiting class to, to really know what you are, but also, I mean, guys are getting offers really early. They're committing really early. Guys are taking visits really early. Everything has sort of changed. I think Nebraska is in a good spot for 2025. Um, I think they're going to be in an even better spot for 2026. And I think we've seen that reflected by some of these offers coming out. You know, they they had, I don't even know why they call it a junior day. They just need to call it the elite unofficial weekend or something. They had some really notable 2026s in there over these last couple of weeks that, you know, some of them are guys that are ranked in our system that are five stars. Some of them aren't ranked at all, but are going to be sort of like the Jack Lang kid that you mentioned Nebraska, I think, is never going to be a team that struggles with evaluating talent. They are going to be a team that has to to win the recruiting battles because Jack Lang likely isn't going to end up in in Lincoln. He's going to go to one of those other schools, and yet they likely unearthed him for a number of recruiting departments around the country. So um, I I expect 
we're going to hear about some of these 26s and 27s. And then when 24-7 Sports sends out to you and I, Brunts, like here's the here's the upcoming new top 247. It's like, oh, hey, first offer, first offer. First, yeah. You know, I, we're going to, you know, I think we're going to see that a lot. So I, I, I did want to comment on that. Um, I assume when you were talking about the things that interest you about the the junior day, the fact that they have these guys cook their own food, is that what you were discussing? <laughs> the the pasta bar that they're they're putting together? Yeah, I, I was hoping it was like one of those setups where they like they give you like the hot rock and you put the meat on there, like do your own like hibachi <laughs> setup. But no, the I, I, I was referring to the uh more of the football side of things, not okay. the uh not the no. the DIY food thing. Not Isaac Jensen being surprised that he could cook chicken alfredo pasta with a chef standing over his shoulder yeah i'm, I'm yeah. imagining like them handing like a bowl of vegetables to like terrence knight and he's sitting there working the <laughs> sauteing work, working the mongolian grill yeah, I, um, like it. I like it but yeah yeah so i i think what you're you're mentioning and it was by far a big hit both weekends everybody i talked to um basically every recruit said they never seen anything like it and that's the the interactive meetings that were taking place, you know, throughout um, throughout these two weekends. And what that is, effectively, Nebraska has these guys line up at the position of which they want to be recruited at, or where they think they should be recruited at. And then they, you know, in groups, you know, they'll have eleven. Obviously, there's eleven guys that play on offense, eleven on defense. They will have them step out, and they'll work through a a play call, and they'll set up a situation. And this is the play call that Nebraska is running. And for the offensive line, you know, it was three pass protections I think they walked away with. And then Brock Heath told me that they worked on inside zone and what inside zone is at Nebraska and how that might be different than it is at other places and the different things and the different movements that are related to a singular play with an inside zone technique. And it, it just fascinates me because it's obviously it's January in in Lincoln I don't I'm assuming they were in the field house for this because that's where you would get that much space but the idea of allowing some of these guys to sort of mentally think I'm at Nebraska while they're on this visit and go through the you know you have you have Donovan uh, Riola walking your your center recruit through what he's doing in this situation or he's talking with uh you know 2026 Jackson Cantwell about how this is the kick out that he needs to have on this pass protection, or this is where the hand placement, like it gets these guys in a mindset of, okay, this is what it's like to be coached by this guy. This is what it's like to be in this program. And it makes them think about Nebraska differently than if you just showed up there and you have these meetings and they throw the film up and he's, he's showing Teddy Prohaska and he's like, okay, so this is why he did this. And this is why he did that. Instead, they're physically doing it. And I just thought it was really unique. And the response has just been fantastic. I mean, one, I think it breaks up the monotony of a day. Two, I think you take some of these guys that have been to Nebraska multiple times. And it's like, okay, I don't need to. Obviously, the facilities are really nice. And for some of them, they're so new, they haven't seen a lot of this. But for others of these guys, they don't need to sit through a life skills presentation for the fourth time. Like, this gives them something different to take home. And again, I suspect as word gets around about what Nebraska did here, you're going to see more programs sort of copy this idea. But I know that internally they were very excited about how it went. And I know from the recruits perspectives, especially were really enjoyed it. I mean, I, I thought it really was sort of the standout thing 
of the the whole event. But yeah, I mean, uh, just with the, the response, whether it was Cortez Mills, which there was a, a story from Brian Doan the other day, and and people, I think, took some of the quotes in there a little harder than they needed to. I, I think Nebraska is going to be very in the Cortez Mills sweepstakes. Uh, so I, I just want to throw that out there. Uh, wide receiver from Miami. He loved his visit. He's got connections throughout the program. Biggest thing is going to be you got to recruit against Georgia, LSU, Clemson. Like these are these are teams that produce great wide receivers. You got to give him a reason to come to Nebraska that isn't just Philip Simpson used to be my coach and now he's the quality control guy in Lincoln. Like there's got to be something there, and maybe that's where Dylan Riola can really help you out, especially if you're able to showcase what your offense could look like with some increased wide receiver talent. Uh, I mentioned Jackson Cantwell. Brunt, I didn't know this. His parents effectively grew up as Nebraska fans. He's got Nebraska connections throughout. That's a six foot seven um, elite track guy on top of it, a thrower. Uh, his parents, I think, were Olympians. Um, so this is a guy that's down in uh, Nixa, Missouri, where Nebraska is certainly going to be putting a lot of emphasis and a lot of effort in future years. He's a 2026. Um, those were, were sort of the notables. There's a bunch of other reaction in there. You can get all of that coverage at Husker 24-7. But any, anything that stood out for you when you were reading through it, parsing through it, or, or listening to me bloviate there? Uh, well, kind of. Um, but And I'll get away from the junior day a little bit, but it's it's still related. So obviously Nebraska's coaches have been on the road for the last couple of weeks in January. Um, the 24 class is mostly put to bed and you're recruiting ahead. We saw last year this time that Matt Rule, I think, did a pretty nice job of seeding the next year's class with some of these visits that he made in January. I mean, in your mind, I mean, are these are these couple weeks here like pretty valuable in terms of getting a lay of the land for who Nebraska views as priority is in 25 and beyond? Yeah, I, I view this. I, I haven't done a good job of tracking it and writing it as much as I probably should have in the last week or so. I view this stretch in a particular this week as kind of like the tell all of like who they're visiting. Those guys matter and they matter not just because they have a Nebraska offer or not just because they're a certain level of recruit. They matter because Matt Rule has a finite amount of places that that jet can go and that he can get to in any given day. And he can only see these guys at their school or working out or doing whatever. But go back to last January. How important does it seem now that he went and watched Grant Bricks wrestle? You know, like that, that really mattered. How important was it to get to that uh, Ainsworth basketball game to see Carter Nelson in that environment? That really mattered. Like, I, I think, you know, whether it's some of these wide receivers, um, whether it's some of these offensive linemen, defensive linemen, I thought it really mattered that he was in St. Louis uh, yesterday. You know, there's a handful of guys, Corey Sims being one of them, but also the the quarterback offer. I mean, you you have that, you, you have a guy there that, um, you know, Dylan Duff, and, and we can go deeper in that if you would like, but I don't know what Nebraska is going to do at the 2025 quarterback spot, but maybe Dylan Duff, they see something there as a developmental guy and he appreciates Nebraska stopping through. So he's going to return the, the, the favor and make a visit of his own. And suddenly you end up with, with this relationship that works out where you have your quarterback in 2025. Um, I, I think this week is huge for telling us who's on the higher end of Nebraska's board. And it, you know, this is the last time, 
a coach can be on the road, a head coach can be on the road until December of 2024. So it, to me, really matters which spots he's stopping in at. And uh, they got the big in-home visit with Keanu Wilhite at some point this week. Do you, um, I guess with with kind of where they're at now, um, and, and you mentioned it, the, the 25 quarterback picture, um, they've made a couple offers in January. They made one to a quarterback in Pennsylvania. They made the one to, to Dylan Duff yesterday in St. Louis. Uh, Alex Mansky has kind of been the the name connected to Nebraska in the 25 class for a long time. Kind of lay out lay it out a little bit. It, it seems like that that conversation changed whenever you add two quarterbacks in the 24 class, and one of them happens to be. Uh, a five-star quarterback is is your sense that 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 conversation from Nebraska's end has had to change based on what they did in 24 I think it has to because the, you mentioned you mentioned Riola but the other quarterbacks a local kid that went to the elite 11 as well and um, you know there's there's only so much room in your quarterback room there's only so much opportunity and as we've seen you can try to stack the room the best that you can. I mean, and, and obviously Ohio state's an example of being able to just add all of this talent. We'll see what that room looks like at the end of spring. I think it's going to look a lot different than it does right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you, you have to be able to, to try to put together a quarterback room where you might have to get a bridge to gap quarterback. And that might be what Dylan Duff is. And It's also important to acknowledge if you're a fan or if you're a recruit or what have you, Dylan's not the only Riola that plays quarterback. And there's another one in Dayton that is a 2026 recruit. And it seems pretty likely to me uh, that Nebraska is going to be pretty heavily involved in that recruitment as well. And so if you're a 2025 right now and you're looking at Nebraska and right in front of you is, you know, pending on the service of five-star quarterback and, and Dylan Riola, who's a legacy, and then a uh, a quarterback in Daniel Kalen, who's a local kid that went to the Elite Eleven. And then there's in 2026, there's Dayton Riola, and you know I, I mentioned earlier on the podcast one of the Vandenboshes is a quarterback as well. Um, you've got to. It's not going to be easy to get someone like Alex Mansky, who, by the way, I think everyone else is catching up on. I think his recruitment's going to explode here. Um, it's not going to be easy to just go get someone. And tell them, okay, come join the room, compete against these guys. The the guy in the class ahead of you got a full year as a starter. You don't even necessarily get to be the backup because there's someone who came in that same class as him. And even when he leaves, you're not necessarily going to be guaranteed of anything because we're going to be recruiting just as hard in 2026 and 2027. So it's a, um, I think it's a tricky situation. And I think that's why, you know, I saw some comments yesterday from some people uh, both on our board and then on social media about being puzzled by why Nebraska would offer this kid in Missouri. I think you have to you have to, to try to do things differently than the quarterback you just took. Like I don't know that you can take the same version of the same player in 24 and 25 and 26, 27. It's just not going to happen. And so maybe this is more of a developmental quarterback, but it could be someone that they really like the upside of uh, and is willing to put in the time in the program and see where things go. Yeah, he's a uh, first year starting was his, was his junior year, yeah. um, and I I think I, I wonder too if you know you have a new quarterbacks coach 
in the mix on your coaching staff. I mean, obviously they've worked together before Glenn Thomas and the staff, but I mean, that, that a new set of eyes and a, a new kind of set of preferences, things like that, I think maybe introduces some different uh, things that you're looking for and, 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 you know, maybe things that catch an eye versus maybe what you had before. So, uh, but they I believe have made, nine quarterback offers in the 25 class and i believe four or five remain uncommitted at this point so um yeah that how that plays out i think will be kind of fascinating to watch i was just curious to to kind of see what you thought about that yeah absolutely anything else you want to get to here in the uh the podcast no i don't think so you're done we're done we uh well we got another signing day a week from today um which might have someone signing and might not. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, you, you might get some walk-on-ish sure. guys signing, um, signing something. They're going to sign something. Um, but that, maybe that, a hat. Maybe that, a Cardinals that. hat. <laughs> just combine the signing ceremony and the hat ceremony, and you're just signing a hat. Um, that's, not a, that's not the worst idea. You just send a hat into Matt Rule and just says, I'm in. Yeah, yeah. Um so yeah, we'll we'll probably hear from Matt Rule this time next week. Then lots to cover, but um, I think I think I'm good. If you're good, <laughs> I think we're good as well. All right, everyone. Uh, if you want more of this type of conversation, be sure to check out Husker247.com. We have plenty of coverage from the junior days that were uh, that's up there. There is a, a Dylan Riola story about his recruitment. Um, a little bit more inside baseball about how some of things happened over a multi-year stretch for Nebraska to end up with one of the biggest commitments in recent memory. I encourage you to check that out. Of course, we'll have plunty of basketball coverage. Baseball is starting up. Brunts is, uh, he's getting the arm loose in case they need to bring him in from the bullpen so he can uh, throw about 62 miles an hour. See if that works. Got to see how much hot sauce I've got left in this chicken wing. Is it an ephus if that's the hardest that you can throw? Uh, probably. I'll give you a palm ball. Oh, yeah. You can get palm ball. Little spit on there. Yeah. See if you can get that thing going in a different direction. Yeah. So you got baseball coming up. So it's it's that time of year that I know that Michael Brunts absolutely loves, where you get the convergence of off-season football, recruiting, basketball, and baseball. And what better place to be than Husker 24-7? Be sure to check it out. And be sure to check us out as we'll be back next week with more Husker 24-7 podcasts.